0: Hello, this is Michael Melfi, and welcome to the Be Investable podcast, a series where I speak with innovative individuals who share their insights about what it means to be investable.
1: Well, on today's episode, we have Chris Denson. He is an American innovation expert, a marketer, and a humor enthusiast. We can't wait to hear more about that. He's also the host of the Innovation Crush podcast and runs an innovation team at Omnicom Group, and he's also going to talk to us about his new book that is out, Crushing the Box, The Ten Essential Rules for Breaking Essential Rules. Chris, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Excited to, to be here.
1: Well, thank you so much. And, and Chris, as I, as I look at some of the awesome things you've done from you know, being part of a BET series and, and doing, being a writer for that to then being a, a producer for Playboy Television and doing high TV and then being the head of marketing for American Film Institute, You've done some really amazing things throughout your career, and and you know I guess I'd like to start by saying, is there a single moment that was the shining moment or, or the highlight of your career so far that you've had?
2: probably the shiniest moment was tricking all those people into hiring me. Now, uh, <laughs> I mean, you touched on the, on the AFI Digital Content Lab, which was actually pretty exciting. Like, that was sort of a turning point in my career, kind of just going from, you know, creator, marketer, to really exploring, you know, what's possible in the future. It was really interesting because we, you know, we were a think tank for marriages of technology and, and entertainment. So we worked with everyone from HBO to the Leonardo DiCaprio Foundation, to the Los Angeles County Museum of Arts just kind of exploring the future and there were only four of us who ran the lab but we would recruit volunteer mentors from all over the world to sort of help us workshop these projects and I would just meet some of the most brilliant people and, I'm, and it was just one of those things where i go like oh wait you can do that <laughs> right and if you couldn't do it like we would figure out a way to make uh, you know make it possible so that, that's one probably of the highlights and I think the other you know obviously I, lo- I love the work that I do with OMD and Ignition Factory you know know kind of working with Fortune 50 brands and startups and just really, you know, pushing the the envelope when it comes to being inventive in marketing and media and just branded experiences of all sorts.
1: And along with that, you do, since 2013, you've actually done the Innovation Crush, the podcast as well, correct? You've had guests like Damon Johns on and and some other people. And so what do you guys, when, when you talk about innovation on that podcast, what do you talk about when you talk to those guests?
2: This is a great question, especially because innovation is just one of those, like,
1: empty, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. empty industry word that we all use. It's almost like being a social media guru. But no, I think innovation as a practice, right, it's, it's sort of this, I, I try to profile people who have reimagined something. Right? so or are approaching something in a, in a different way than we've ever experienced so Damon John is a great example you know as an entrepreneur and, and you know and his vision as, as a visionary across multiple fields you know but like what is his expertise what is his ability to you know leverage his expertise to really affect change and and not just like oh we we're doing now we're doing it this way but like really something that's revolutionary so you know you look at what people have touched in their careers and hopefully you know at least from a guest profile they've been pretty prolific game changers and I think everyone really wants to elevate and evolve in some way and you know I adopted this quote a couple of years ago which is what got you here won't get you there and so no matter what level of success you've reached you're always it takes a little bit of reinvention to get to the next level and so that's what I hope the, the, the show inspires for the listeners.
1: And that, that's awesome. You've had tremendous success with that. We're going to talk a little more about innovation in a second. But sure. I, I have to. We, we talked a lot about your successes, and and with any any good journey, there's definitely the the lower points or some challenges. Is, is there one point in your career thus far that you would say that was my biggest challenge? And if so, what did you learn during that time?
2: Another great question. For me, it's really like the biggest hurdle is probably an internal, you know, kind of being or at least seeing myself as sort of this, uh, like I'm a creative genius and people aren't recognizing it. There's always that point in your career where you're like, why doesn't anyone get me or get my vision? Even as an entrepreneur, you know, if you do 100 pitch meetings or 20, like whatever that number is, you know, time after time, you're going to be told no. And you start to really question, is this product value? Is this idea about, are we saying it the right way? You know, what is the problem? Because I see something very clearly that could exist in the world, and for whatever reason, it's not happening. So, and it, obviously for me, that was just the, the personal part of that. It wasn't so much like a project failed or, you know, we ran out of money. It was just one of those kind of things. It was really like this kind of battle with myself and allowing myself the patience and the capacity to, to just to know it would be okay. And, you know, I, I think we go through enough life lessons and business lessons that despite how many times you've fallen, like things come right back around, right? And, and hopefully in grander ways than, than ever before.
1: I think that's great. And, and you know, some people are probably like, Michael, how does this connect to entrepreneurship? And I, I think it has a direct connection in, in the sense that often people will ask me, what is inov- innovation? And I say, a lot of times innovation is what entrepreneurialism is. If you're going to be able to create, if you're going to be able to, come up with ideas and create value for your customers you're being innovative and I, I know from some of your experiences around the world whether it be the white house global entrepreneurship summit the innovate finance global summit or just and just by on the south by southwest that great event every year you get to see innovation you get to see entrepreneurship and and from in that regard my question for you around that would be how do you define what makes a good entrepreneur
2: <laughs> that's, a, that's a also a great question, There's, and you, you said you touched on a lot of things, you know. I, I'm going to sort of defer to another guest of mine, Troy Carter, another Shark Tank person, but he had this quote that really stuck with me, and it was, you know, I'm looking for the person that's willing to drive a Mack truck through a cul-de-sac, and it really just speaks to the amount of grit and soft skills and EQ that it takes to push any vision forth, and I think Great ideas come a dime a dozen. Right, great execution of great ideas is the the harder part. So you know that execution piece like becomes: Are you a survivor? And, you know, do you have the wherewithal to you know to rally people around your vision? Do you have these other sort of skills? Because I think yeah, like I've seen a lot of decks and sat with a lot of companies and you know heard of different things. You scroll through Kickstarter, you see tens of thousands of great ideas, and that could be you know globally impactful businesses. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the individual, and I think you know where, where you were touching on this first. As far as you know, how does this relate to entrepreneurship? I, you know, I think any any great innovation is an outward expression of the individual, and like but a very hyper personalized version version of that. Absolutely, you know. Yeah, so uh, you know one example is Miguel McKelvey, who's been a guest on the show. He's the founder of WeWork, and you know WeWork is not the only co-working real estate game in the you know in the world, but it is like it's gigantic. Mainly because you know when, when I talk to Miguel, he kind of grew up in a community living type home. You know his mom and a couple of her friends had a house together, and they all had kids, and everybody shared resources and insights and tools and all sorts of things. And so when he's a grown man like that's an outward extension of who he was. And no wonder the customer service that you mentioned earlier is so great because it's it's part of who he was. You know, there's a lot of people who have great ideas, and it's not a field or a thing that they have an emotional attachment to. And, and that's okay, too. But I think, you know, when, when you come to something that's disruptive or revolutionary, you'll find, like, you start talking to those founders, and you're like, oh, this is kind of who you are. <laughs> it's not just a, a, a good idea that, uh, why didn't I think of that?
1: No, totally. You know, in, in preparing to, to come on with you today, you know, I, I knew we'd have a lot of good things to talk about. With some of the things you said, I think we were hours talking about the, the things, some of the things you shared about EQ and, and about the soft skills that it takes to be successful. You know, the, the podcast is called Be Investable. And we talk a ton about what does it take to be investable. And you're right. You can have the knowledge in an industry. You can have even the right skill set. If you don't have that attitude, you're never going to be able to ask for the resources you need to be successful. And like you said, whether it be that you grew up in that environment, that they are looking for Because at the end of the day, like you said, revolutionary ideas that are visionary in nature, that truly innovate requires someone to stick with it long after, it's no longer fun, right? It, it, takes, it takes you having to be willing to have a, you know, just a vision that you're willing to stick through and say, hey, what got us here is not going to get us there To use that quote that you just said. You're so spot on with that.
2: Yeah, it's a long <laughs> I, 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 for, for for whatever reason I'm thinking in quotes today, but you just reminded me of Mike Tyson when he said everybody has a game plan until they get punched in the mouth, right? Like you, 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 you like you, like you, you, like oh my gosh, it's the best idea. We wrote up the game plan. We may have a prototype, whatever it is, and then that first lump you take, whatever whether it's to your ego or your product fail or whatever the thing is, is that's the test, right? The, the test is how do you get around that, you know, and. Even from a being investable kind of framework, you know, there's no. It's no secret that most investors invest in people. Right? It's yes to the idea, but you. But you've also seen ideas that aren't that revolutionary. But you know, an investor will trust the the person. If they like them, if they, you know, they see that they do have those other skills because, yeah, I mean, you have to think, right? If if you're going into a VC firm and you're pitching your idea or to anybody or or even someone like myself, it's like I see dozens of ideas probably a day, right? And whether I'm sitting down in a meeting or come across an article or my team and I are talking about something, it's just like you – so – Whatever it is in your head, uh, you know you're one person. But realizing that, whomever you're talking to, or an audience of millions, right? That that audience has so many other things that they could be doing with their time and their money. And so, if you don't realize, like you're in a competitive space, and that takes a lot of like ingenuity to, to cut through the clutter, you know, um, I, like that's one of the things I always ask, you know, new companies is like, well, what's your, you know what's part of your go-to-market strategy? And you'll see a lot of people flounder with that answer because, you know, they think that the product is strong enough. And those sort of success stories where you go like, oh, we just put up the video and the next thing we knew it was viral. Like the, even in that, Isn't that
1: how it happens? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly
2: what happens. No, but in, even in that light, right, it, let's say it's a YouTube content creator. You know, you have to also remember that 400 hours of content are being uploaded to YouTube every minute. So that one person that was like, oh, and then everybody started watching it. Like, that is a needle and, and another needle in a haystack, right? <laughs> right. Um, right. So, uh,
1: so one more question on innovation, just just because I, I think it, it's it's such a hot topic, at least the world and I'm in. So you're often working in the your group's ignition factory, where you work with key, you're the key group responsible for emerging innovation, right? With with your Fortune 50 clients. And so I think the first part of that question is what does that what does that really mean to the listeners out there? You deal with emerging innovation across media, technology, and culture.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, if, if you look at OMD as a whole, like the the parent company, if you will, is media. So it's commercials, print ads, digital media, banners, social media, any way to, you know, reach and frequency is a common phrase that's used in the industry. You know, our team is kind of specialized in exploring, like, what are new ways to engage? What are new ways to reach? through and they may not always be through t- traditional media experiences or if it is on a traditional media experience then we try to find a-, a way to make that special you know a few years ago we were the first to do video and print Right? we all So for a series on the CW, you're flipping through your magazine, there's a small, thin screen on one of the pages where you can actually watch moments from this upcoming series. Yep. So while wow, that's not like, oh my God, it, it's still taking an old, familiar form of communication and giving it a new twist. You know, sometimes it's that, sometimes it's, hey, GE, we're going to create an incubator for you guys and run it out of our New York office. Sometimes it's Suicide Squad, and we want to launch that, and we do a tattoo parlor at South by Southwest, and we allow people to get real tattoos and have a line around the block all day. So, And then that tattoo, guess what? That becomes marketing for life. <laughs> right Literally. <laughs> well, yeah exactly and you know some of these things are risky like who knows if video on print was gonna, gonna work or be a thing but yeah
1: well, so, and it's funny funny you said I remember the days when we first when we were in the media industry and I said hey we're gonna take our print publication and we're gonna digitize it and people looked at us like what I'm like, yeah, we're going to have it online. That was innovation, what, 10 years ago was to be able to do that. Right. So right. I, I think a question for you is, is and, and like you're saying, hey, we're going to, we're going to work with uh, an organization to help them put together an incubator. I think a lot of people, at least from the entrepreneurial side, and I'm going to say you're, you're on the corporate side. When they see that, they say, I don't even know how the two of us mix. Now, I happen to know that, and obviously that's what you do day to day. And I thought what would be really interesting is just to talk about that a second uh, was about just where is, the, where is the, the nexus? Where does that crossing point where entrepreneurship, emerging companies intersect with those Fortune 500 companies in it around innovation? How is that happening, and how do you see it continue to evolve?
2: Well, I think in my experience, you know, we usually try to capture a moment. We have a, it's almost easy in that vein. I think a lot of times we'll run at startups and be like, oh, you know, Pepsi should be using our product. And sometimes timing is, isn't there. You know, I think for, if you look at special moments, whether it's a television series launch or new products launch, or it's a holiday season or something like that, and like that becomes a really good timely point of entry where somebody's looking for, like back to school, like think about the number of different <laughs> messages you hear about back to school if you have a new of some form of startup or a new experience or platform that could be relevant to you know, could add value to those moments. I think a lot of times, you know, again, get, getting outside your own head is another thing. <laughs> where it's like, yeah, yes, you see the value in it, but sometimes you have to think like that clients would think, knowing that they're not going to make the creative leap. They're going to sit there and look at your product and go, that's cool. And then you say, so for instance, in summer for the Olympics, what if we did this on our platform, right? And and then they go, oh, and that these people are not smart aren't at all but they are very busy <laughs> so to take a half hour or an hour to learn about your product is like some you have to make a leap for them in some way and at least offer it up as a thought starter and i think a lot of times that's where some of these conversations fall short but there's a number of different you know touch points on how to penetrate you know working with, with big brands but that's one of the one of the key ones is just like yeah. knowing who, who you're talking to
1: yeah i, th- I think that was I think you bring up a really good point is being able to build that bridge for the person and take in the other side because we all have that vision and they're, you know, they're standing on the one side of the bank and you're trying to paint this vision over there. If you can't build the bridge at the right time of the day or the right season you know, based on where they're, they're, they're at in their fiscal budgets, where they're at in their planning cycles, they're not going to get on the bridge with you. But when you can deliver them that, that entry point, That's where the real opportunity really starts. And it's always interesting when you hear of these, I would say, smaller companies or emerging companies that were able to land that big account. And I think it it had to do with that they were able to create that because they didn't have necessarily the resources. They didn't have the team, per se but they were able to really create an opportunity that no one saw before. They were able to be innovative is what we're talking about.
2: Yeah. I and mean, then look, there's a lot of other factors that go into it. You know, sometimes it's relationships. Sometimes maybe I trust you from your last venture. Maybe I trust one of your partners from their last venture, or I trust the person who recommended you to like, there don't forget the, the human component of all this. Right. And like the ability to read a room, like that winning pitch that you gave yesterday might not work on the same, you know, on a new group of people the next day. And, you know, like, um, I'm, my, my career is rooted in stand-up comedy, and uh, I'll spare you the details on how I made the, that journey, but you can read about it in the book. But, no, it's, it's you know, the ability to read a room and go, like, okay, this... This line of dialogue isn't working, let me switch it up and see, or like ask a question in the room, like how many of you have heard of X, Y, and Z? Maybe nobody's heard of it. Now you know you need to back up a little bit before you start jumping in on what your thing does, right? It's, um, it's that ability to, to sort of be nimble in, in, a, in a conversation about the, what, what the opportunities are. And the last example I'll give you too is that every year we do a trends report until we pick out sort of 12 macro shifts in culture and technology. A lot of them are future forward. They're like, here's what we're predicting is going to happen in the next 12 to 18 months. It might be robotics. It might be, you know, uh, hypersensitivity, how we're talking about the cultural climate and everyone's, you know, up in arms. It's still like generation kind of thing. But, you know, sometimes if we just deliver the trends and we explain them over the course of an hour, people are like, okay, cool. But if I explain the trend and then I say, so here's, like, so imagine with me for a second that, you know, so, I'll, I'll make this up, but like ASICS, the new ASICS robot. And then I, then I put the robotics into a context that makes sense for their particular brand. It's this ability to, you know, to like make the connection like you, you touched on before.
1: Absolutely. And and, and, I, and we'll save it for offline, but we can talk more about your days at Michigan State in the stand-up comedy in the local nightclubs. Uh, but we'll talk about that later. Let's move on. You talked about the book that's out, and that book is called Crushing the Box. Ten Essential Rules for Breaking Essential Rules. Um, all, I, I want to hear all about breaking the rules, but can you share with us a little bit about, about your book? And before you say I just got to read one line here. From learning to swim like an otter to fleeing like a refugee or even ruining everything, Chris's unconventional and irrelevant, irrelevant advice will help you reimagine, experiment, collaborate, grow, and succeed. I love that line, but in your own words, tell us a little bit about the book. You said it, you said it best. No, I, <laughs> it's irrelevant. No, I'm kidding. It's, it's irreverent.
2: But uh, <laughs> no, it's it's hopefully. I mean, hopefully, it's a fun journey through. You know, at least what I've extracted. You know, a lot of times it's like, hey, what, Chris, what does it take to make innovation happen? What, what's the most common things that have come up in your show? You know, what have you seen in your own career? Like, I mean, even a lot of the questions that you ask today are very common. And so, you know, I'm I'm all I'm a lot of. I mean from a humor perspective I'm a big pun person and I, you know and even most of my brainstorms will start off with some form of joke but it'll lead me to a real thing where, like I might see something to be funny but then I go like actually you know what let's put the punchline aside that that can actually work and so you know I try to tell these principles that I've learned about innovation through these kind of metaphors so something like an otter for instance is actually a, a guest of mine Dan Goods who's NASA's artist in residence he's been there for 15 years helping craft missions and helping create public art exhibitions for so people understand like NASA grade science and you're not listening to some engineer give you a bunch of formulas and saying the word quark so you (laughs) you don't know what they're talking about. But he said when he was in art school he had a, a project where he had to draw a picture of an otter. And so his his professor was like, okay, great, this is great. He's like, meet me in the pool in a couple of days. (laughs) So they go to the pool. He shows them a video of an otter swimming and he's like, now get in the water and swim like, you know, kind of mimic this. And that whole sort of story is kind of rooted in empathy, right? Anytime you're creating, you know, a platform or an experience or a technology or just a, a marketing moment, it's really how deep of a dive can you take to understand what that culture is? You know, it's one thing to read statistics and, you know, kind of assemble your own, look at the data and all that stuff, but, like, let's go get in the shoes of these people, you know, even in that chapter where, like, if you're going to invent something for NASCAR experience or NASCAR fans, like, go to NASCAR, like, get the dirt on your face from the track, <laughs> right? You're like, oh, there's a pain point here. People are getting, like, you know, dirt on their face or you have to wait in line for two hours to get food. Like, you know, we think we know it because we also just live in a headline culture where, you know, every article is like, here's the five things you need to know and you read those five things you feel like you're an expert all of a sudden but no but like go do the thing go live the life for uh, you know a period of time even if it's uh, just a couple of hours and it just kind of increases your sense of empathy about how to create and so every chapter is kind of set up in that same vein free like a refugee is about risk and how much risk are you willing to take we even have one chapter called put women in their place and that's about inclusion you know we talk about how the best innovations come from diverse perspectives and not always ethnic and gender-based, but just like, let's put a scientist and a teacher and an artist in a room and give them a problem to solve and see what they come up with, because they're all going to approach it from different perspectives. So so yeah, that's, that's sort of the, the ethos of the book.
1: I think it's a great book, and I'll tell you there's four topics there, or, or at least featured areas when you talk about in the book that I that I, I kind of marked out, is, is becoming an industry mercenary with multiple skill sets, I think that just sounds really cool, if nothing else. But I think the other ones was being both entrepreneur and entrepreneur methods for connecting disparagingly different dots. And, and I would say that one because one of my favorite quotes is the the Steve Jobs quote about connecting the dots, and then ultimately raising your innovation IQ through emotional intelligence. And we'll, we'll kind of before we wrap up, I'd love to just ask you about that last one. It's such an important part to be able to have emotional intelligence and so share a little bit with our listeners about about how you raise your innovation IQ for emotional intelligence
2: Sounds like a mouthful of nothing, does it? But <laughs> no, I <it's, you> know. <laughs> think a
1: mouthful of a lot, and that's why I want to dissect that's for of, because I know how valuable that statement is.
2: Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think when I mean almost everything that we talk about, right? You know, when I when I give a t- when I talk about innovation, so if I'm at an event or something like that, you know, and I I go through my little examples and fun stories and examples and all this stuff, the last slide that kind of sort of sums it up, you know, the first thing I talk about is loneliness, right? Like if you are an entrepreneur or a visionary of any sort or an entrepreneur and you, you see very clearly a better path, you know, it's going to take a lot of work to get people to align with that vision. And they may get it the minute you say it out of your mouth. You may go like, hey, what if we did this? They're like, that is actually an awesome idea. But again, any idea is only as good as it is executed. And the the you know the emotional strain that comes with trying to bring these things to life is definitely a, a big part of that, you know, understanding an audience, not even just from a marketing perspective, but like we talked about from a, from just being in a room and, oh, this the person I'm talking to is tired or they're on their phone or, you know, how do I take advantage of this moment and not let it get to me? How do I flip it around? I, I, somebody just told me that we're at a meeting and an executive was falling asleep and he was like, I wish I had said blah, blah. Like, he, he, he had all these things he wanted to do after the fact. But, you know, and then it's also just being able to motivate people. Understand, like, if you have a team around you is being able to understand the, the things that make them happy what it you know what goes on in the day-to-day i was just talking to a friend the other day and we were saying how like engineers are kind of like like engineering is kind of like the new sweatshop you know, there's studies and and articles out there about like the number of hours engineers are putting in and nobody thinks about them in the same vein that you would coal miners or, you know, take any other sort of blue collar field where you're like, oh, I did a double shift and, you know, like, yeah, it might be great money in some cases, but, but it's just this, this idea of being emotionally aware of of who you are as an individual, who the individuals around you are, both from a product development standpoint and like who you're developing something for or just, you know, your own personal journey. Like, where are you in life? (laughs) All these things matter in the the whole innovation equation.
1: Awesome. I love it. Thank you for that. And to take it home, the the last question, which I always ask, the podcast is called Be Investable. What does that mean to you?
2: Being investable, uh, to me, it means uh, maybe just being aware, like having a a broad sense of awareness. Um, You know, I, I think... Every problem is a people problem, you know, and every opportunity is a people opportunity, you know. And and I think knowing that we are all human beings and and most of what we've created is designed to make our lives easier in some way or create some kind of efficiency or even just a wow factor could be an art experience, you know, something that just is inspirational and inspiring and and kind of knowing that there's another good friend of mine who recently said, and he's like, my job isn't to be the smartest person in the room. I want to be the guy you want to have a beer with. And so, you know, I like if being investable means look, you're going to be on a long road with these individuals who have invested in you. And and conversely, like you can be selective in who you let, whose money you take. Um, so, you know, it's like I, they, the person may like the idea and like you, and for some reason it just may feel off to you. Like just being you know that two like recognize that there's a two-way exchange but being investable is, is really that it's you know kind of being aware of the of of human psychology I don't want to get too deep but it is it's like being a person that's that's thoughtful and sensitive and and uh, astute from a from a human perspective
1: Chris thank you very much for being on the show and congratulations on the the book and looking forward to continuing our conversations in the future
2: thank you so much Thank you.
1: You're welcome. You're listening to the Be Investable podcast. And my name is Michael Melfi. Until the next episode, stay investable.
0: Well, there you have it. The latest episode of the Be Investable podcast. Until next time, stay investable. In the meantime, check out our magazine by going to www.getinvestable.com forward slash magazine and subscribe for a free issue. Additionally, you can find more great content through our amazing media partners, such as Cranes Business Detroit, Huffington Post, Michigan Business Network, Michepreneur, Smart Hustle Magazine, and Startup Nation. Thanks again for tuning in, and we look forward to talking with you soon.